Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Well, good morning. This morning is our first edition of Fridays with the Scientist, and today we are lucky we have a guest, uh, Dr. Rebecca Adam Seeland from Veris Atmospheric and Environmental Research. Becky, how are you this morning? I'm good. How are you, Eric? Doing well. Uh, just might give the audience just a quick uh, background in yourself and what you do at AER. Sure. Yeah, I'm a senior scientist at AER. Um, I've been there for about 15 years now, um, and I research uh, all manner of things in their R&D division. But uh, the things that most interest me are um, hail and trying to understand how we can better forecast it, um, as well as some uh, different types of, of waves produced by thunderstorms. That gets a little more theoretical. But um, yeah, the hail is, is a pretty um, um, non-theoretical and, and right in front of you um, impact. Well, let's just start off with something that's non-theoretical and has an actual impact. I'm going to show a picture. Uh, this is from uh, Scott's Bluff. Um, can you see this? Uh, oh, yes. Yeah, so this was, uh, this happened last Saturday. So uh, Gary Stone at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center took these pictures. So this was a uh, field corn. Um, I don't know what it looked like before. Um, It clearly isn't very good now. So yeah, there were, he said pictures of uh, field corn, sugar beets, and dry beans, and all of them just took an absolute beating. I don't know the size of the hail, uh, but this is very, very extensive damage. So these are some of the things that, uh, you know, we deal with in the state with regard to storm damage. I mean, it has tremendous impacts to uh, agriculture, which has impacts to our economy. Um, so I'll be happy to share this picture with you afterward. But uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, well, I do have this, just a couple of series of questions for you. Uh, hopefully they're um, not too difficult. Um, I'll just fire away. Um, so first, you know, as I sort of alluded, this part of the country, the Great Plains uh, in particular, seems very vulnerable to large hail or hail in general. What are some of the factors that make the Great Plains vulnerable to hail, or at least more vulnerable than, say, Massachusetts or the East Coast? Okay, good question. Um, yeah, here in the um, in the central part of the country, we are kind of lined up ju- uh, just perfectly um, so that we can get uh, moist air kind of flowing in from the, the Gulf of Mexico. Um, that gives us our, our warm, moist, humid summers. Um, we also can get um, drier air uh, coming off of the um, the Rocky Mountains, kind of at the mid-levels, and then uh, can potentially even get some colder air aloft that can be coming down out of the Northwest from Canada. Um, but when you combine all those things together, when you have warm, moist air at the surface, colder air aloft, and even some drier air in the, in the mid-levels, uh, you can get some really sizable thunderstorms. Um, particularly, you can get... Um, these kind of isolated single cell thunderstorms called supercells, which are quite powerful, long-lived, and produce a lot of hail. Um, those tend not to happen on, on the eastern coast. So we're really just geographically lucky, one could say, quote unquote. Yes. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, the area where you have grasses and crops where they tend to be most prominent are the areas where you tend to have the most hail, which is somewhat unfortunate. That kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you know, this part of the country, you know, Great Lakes to the West tends to be home of some, you know, our, our most important staple crops, corn, soybean, wheat, also tends to be, you know, kind of a big hail area. But beyond just the size of hail, are there other factors of hail that could make it more or less damaging? 
That's a really good question. And that's actually a pretty active area of research, um, which um, myself and some folks at uh, the University of Nebraska of Lincoln are trying to understand. Um, the answer is yes, we know of some, definitely. Um, obviously, the amount of wind uh, that can blow a hailstone, a hailstone moving at 50 miles an hour is a lot more damaging than a hailstone just falling straight out of the sky. Um, the amount, the number of hailstones is a big deal too. So um, uh, some interviews with, with uh, farmers and just kind of local knowledge has, has helped us understand that a whole bunch of smaller hailstones, so that's a higher concentration of smaller hailstones, is a bigger deal than yeah, maybe some larger hailstones where there just aren't as many, um, particularly if you can get um, those smaller hailstones if they're moving at higher speeds. So mm -hmm. yeah, we already know that um, wind speed, that concentration, um, the amount, number of stones, um, and then also the amount of time over which the hail falls. If it, mm -hmm. the storm is moving very quickly, then not as much damage versus if it just parks over top. Um, so duration. So that's already three more things. And we're assuming there are probably more. Um, there's things like what stage, you know, what time of the year is this? So what stage is the crop in? Um, how, yeah, how mature is the crop? What kind of crop is it? Um, to, yeah, th there's a lot more uh, things that we can understand. But yeah, we already know there's more, more uh, important factors than just size. So in other words, you know, it sounds like a couple of random baseball size hailstones might actually in some cases be better than, you know, the situations where they had to get out the snow plows to plow the hail off the road, even Absolutely, if the hail was relatively yes. smaller. Um, you know, it's interesting that uh, I know you and I both previously had worked with Dr. Gary Hine, who's, uh, I believe he might be retired now, a plant pathology professor where, you know, hail at the wrong time around weed harvest actually could be you know, set the stage for wheat street mosaic virus the next year. So there are other factors beyond just, you know, current damage. It actually, it sounds like there can be situations where the next season could also be affected as well. Um, and it also seems to me that the most climatological maximum for hail uh, is also kind of about the time where you have wheat harvest. So it's almost kind of unfortunate timing. <laughs> it really is. Um Yes, uh, to answer kind of your first question, yes, there are a number of different pathogens, crop pathogens that um, can more easily attack hail damaged crops. Um, and yeah, you mentioned hail is a, is a big one. Um, that are, sorry, not hail, um, wheat, the wheat streak virus uh, is, is a big one, um, but there are other ones that can, you know, corn and soybeans that are being looked at as well. Um, yeah, but the wheat streak virus is actually quite sneaky in that it doesn't necessarily attack this year's crop, but it attacks the next year's crop. Um, so you can unfortunately have two crops in a row um, where the first year was wiped out by hail and the second year by this follow-on virus. Um, and I know that's why the, the Nebraska Extension has been working to help farmers to avoid, um, yeah, uh, to, to be able to avoid this problem into the second year. Yeah, yeah, you can double your losses for sure. And yeah, yeah I believe that's where, you know, coming in and spraying at the right time could really help mitigate, uh, you know, potential losses from wheat streak. Mm -hmm. um, so you sort of already alluded to this earlier, you talked about supercells. So, I mean, are those the most common type of storms to produce hail? Um, should, you know, if I'm looking at the radar and I see an MCS or this nice walleye coming through, should I not be concerned about hail at all? Or can you get hail in those types of scenarios as well? That's a good question. Um, uh, so I, as a scientist, um, I of course have to say, well, it's not hard and fast and uh, there's, there's ongoing research to try to understand this better. But as a general rule, yes, you're not gonna have as much hail in say a long line of thunderstorms as you might in these more individual cells. Um, particularly 
uh, if we're trying to to talk about very large hail, that's going to occur in these individual cells as opposed to in the long line of storms. Um, mm -hmm. The long line of storms, of course, are more likely to give you wind. So you're not, uh, yeah, uh, you know, damaging wind. You're you're not out of the woods yet. But um, yes, I will note, um, interestingly, that's the case here in the U.S. Um, we think that's actually switched down in South America. Um, we think that the longer, more linear storms produce more hail down there, and we don't really know why yet. So, um, hmm. yeah, interesting. That that, is... That's something that I'm studying currently, as a matter of fact. That's actually incredibly fascinating. Um, right. But yeah, I was actually just thinking, though, so, I mean, even if you did have some small hail in a major squall line, if it was reducing 60 mile hour winds, I mean, that hail would certainly, you know, probably cause more damage than without the wind. Um, That's a really good point, too. For example, the Iowa derecho um, that happened in 2020, um, you mm -hmm. had incredible damage, um, even though, um, yeah, where, where it was just pretty small hail. But yeah, if you've got 60 mile an hour winds. Yep. Yeah. That'll... Uh, you know, break some glass and, you know, do, you know, extra damage to crops that already, you know, didn't need it. Um, yeah. So it's my perception or maybe perception generally that uh, models have gotten a lot better uh, forecasting overall, but also seems like they've gotten better at forecasting infection. You know, the high res models seem like they're pretty good at forecasting convection. Is that an accurate assessment? It is an accurate assessment on shorter timescales. So, okay. um, yeah, convection meaning thunderstorms. Um, those things depend on a lot of very small scale factors. Um, something like, oh, maybe uh, this this side of, of this part of the county, maybe the, these crops are irrigated slightly more than these. And, and this small little <laughs> difference can be enough to, to cause a thunderstorm to, to go up. Um, as you can imagine, that's not something that we're really able to um, incorporate into our models. Um, on a, on a long-term basis. Um, so, you know, we're able to get maybe out to about three days, three or four days um, and forecast where convection thunderstorms is, are going to happen. But once you start getting beyond that, it's, you know, the, these small scale factors just aren't being included in the model. And so you, you just can't forecast that far out. Oh, sure. Um, sure. I will note that, um, there is the turkey business of predicting if the thunderstorm is going to happen, which, as you say, we've we've been able to improve at. But then there's also the the concern of well, if this thunderstorm happens, does it produce does it produce hail? Does it produce severe wind, or is it just a, a thunderstorm that that rains out? And that's the piece that we're really trying to work at now, and it's quite difficult, um, unsurprisingly so. Sure. Yeah, I was actually just, you kind of. Just took my next question. I was actually going to ask, like, it seems like maybe we're, we're, we could get convection, you know, or where thunderstorms might be, you know, 24 to 48 hours out fairly well. Would it be fair to say, though, that forecasting who might have hail and size of hail is still very, very challenging? So that that's actually something that I've spent the last several years working on, um, as well as a number of other folks across the country. Um, and we've we've gotten to the point where we feel like we can forecast if about one inch hail, um, which is about the threshold for the weather service to issue a severe thunderstorm warning, um, that we could we could roughly get do a good job of saying, yep, this is going to occur or not um, uh, 24, 48 hours in advance at a location. Um, that, that we can show some pretty good skill at. However, if we try to say, oh yes, this is going to be say two inch hail as opposed to one inch hail, um, mm -hmm. That that we can't really do, um, and it's the the uh, it, uh, yeah trying to understand why 
um, is tricky. Um, we think pro probably a lot of those small scale factors that I talked about earlier play a bigger role in these larger hail than maybe we realized. Um, I'll also note, this is just size of hail. All those things we talked about earlier that also impact crops like you know, the, the duration and the concentration and the wind blowing, that, that we're not even able to forecast at all or haven't, haven't tried yet. Um, so there's a lot of room to grow. Sure. But it sounds like we, you are making good progress in terms of mm -hmm. forecasting, at least that there is a more likely chance of hail. So that's actually very useful knowledge. Uh, but it also seems fair to say that there's still a lot of room for research, uh, maybe even um, field study type research. Is that is that fair? It is absolutely fair. And that I uh, thank you for for leading me in so well. Um, yes, one of the um, big things that we absolutely need is some field research, um, specifically a, a field campaign. Um, the hardest part, surprisingly, about um, hail forecasting is actually validating that you've done a good job or not. Uh, it is very difficult to learn if hail fell somewhere um, or didn't um, and what the characteristics of that hail was. Uh, sometimes we can get quite lucky and folks can submit a report to the Weather Service and say, oh, yes, there was hail here. Um, and it was of this size, but that does rely on the person to be there. It relies on them to exactly, you know, guess right and estimate right that size and get their timing right. And of course, if we are, you know, in, in the middle of somewhere where there didn't happen to be a person reporting hail right then, you have no idea if your hail forecast was right or not. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our big things is that we're going to actually go, we want to go out into the field, um, go out, set ourselves, set an array of instrumentation up in advance of the storm before it moves through. Um, then as the storm moves over our instrumentation, we'd be measuring all the different types of hail that's falling, all the different characteristics, like this wind speed and concentration and size and the amount of force it expends as it hits the ground. Um, while at the same time, we're evaluating the storm with radars. So um, eventually, we can uh, use all this data to better improve our radar-based hail algorithms, and we can also use it to improve our hail forecasting models. So that, um, that uh, effort is called IceChip, um, and it's a, co a collaboration with myself and uh, 12 other universities, including the University of Nebraska at Lincoln, uh, that we're uh, working to get NSF to fund. Um, and we would actually um, go out into the field for um, two successive years to try to really hone in on all these observations. Well, that sounds very, very cool. And, you know, not that I'm hoping for two big failures because that could cause problems. But, you know, if it does help advance the science a good bit, then maybe, you know, maybe hopefully that, you know, maybe we do get some good hail for you. And what you mentioned earlier about, you know, verification issues, I mean, that's an issue with precipitation. I mean, we just mm -hmm. flat out we need we need more observers uh, to measure precipitation uh, for you know drought purposes and whatnot. Um, but I mean, I could totally believe that you know the number of people that actually will report hail is probably quite a bit even less than that. And just given the population density in this part of the country, I mean, the odds of a major hailstone actually falling where somebody would actually go out and measure it and tell you right away, uh, chance of that seemed fairly slim to me. Um, so yes, I, unfortunately, good luck. Um, uh I wish you the best of luck with uh, hoping that that uh, funding comes through and because it sounds Thank like, you. yeah, there's a lot that could be improved uh, with this with this study. Um, yes, it could. Speaking of, uh, of observers, oh, sure. I might put out a plug here for, um, yeah, definitely, we, science as a whole, we all need more observers. So um, don't think that your report doesn't matter. Uh, it's, it's actually quite important to us. So yes, as Eric says, more 
observers willing to observe precipitation, hail, any type of weather. We we welcome it all. Yeah, but actually, it'd be nice maybe if there was a way to report hail size with Kokoraz. I think you know right now we report precipitation and snow. Um, I don't know there's ever been much effort to do hail. And that could be that not everybody is going to see the hail when it falls and, you know, it's going to melt if you don't catch it quickly. Uh, but if for, by chance you know, somebody did actually say, oh, yeah, we had this size of hail, um, you know, and how long it fell, that actually could be, you know, extra valuable information. And there are, uh, you know, thousands of co-cross observers across the country, including quite a few in this region, uh, maybe that's actually something I should bring up to uh, to the folks at Colorado State because they kind of uh, helped run Kokoraz. Um, that's that's actually a, a great point, and um, we we actually have uh, some funding for Kokoraz included um, as part of this campaign to help them um, be able to uh, yes to to be able to process hail pads. Um, they used to be able to include hail pads as part of being. I'm a Kokoraz mm. observer, and that's kind of fallen away. So yeah, to be able to start that up again, and then be able to, like you say, submit, um, submit, say a picture saying, "Oh, this is the hail we got," or, oh. or I am a Kokoraz observer, so I would say uh, sign me up hey. for a hail pad with when the funding comes in. All right. Um, so just kind of finishing up for uh, this morning, um, and thank you very much for coming on this morning. Oh, thank um, you. So. What what advice do you have for residents of Nebraska and this region in general for preparing for large hail? And, you know, the second part of this question, do you are we more likely to see severe storms with hail with with their with the changing climate? OK, um, so in terms of your first question, I would say simply be aware um, a lot. Uh, watch, you know, look at the weather service forecasts and watch your weather service warnings to know what's going on. Um, these folks have are using the best tools that we have at our disposal um, to uh, forecast when you know what thunderstorms are producing hail, and they might not get it right perfectly because you know our tools are are imperfect and we're working to change that. But they're they are doing the the best using the best uh, science forecasting science that we have currently. So yeah, pay attention um, to to those weather service watches and warnings. Um, in terms of a change in climate. Uh, I'm gonna fall on my scientist answer again and answer that it really depends and we don't know yet, it's an active area of research. Um, it's surprisingly difficult uh, because on the one hand, you would think that, oh, with, with warmer temperatures, uh, hail's more likely to melt before it gets down to the ground. But there's the other problem of, well, with warmer temperatures, you're going to have a stronger thunderstorm and so it might produce larger hail before it hits the ground. Um, but it turns out it's even more complicated than that. There's some issues with say what that temperature profile looks aloft and what the winds look like aloft. And it, it quickly becomes um, difficult to be able to say one way or the other. Um, there's also the issue of, well, you might have more large hail, but you might have less small hail. Um, so basically my answer is stay tuned. Um, we, we don't quite know yet. Uh, what the answer to that is, but uh, we do know that there will probably be some changes as the climate uh, continues to change. That is a perfectly acceptable answer. And I thank you very much for your time, Becky, and you have a good Friday. All right. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Bye.